CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back in to the Lions Four Seven Podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, and well, we promised you an action-packed weekend before last weekend on our last episode here, and boy, did the Nittany Lions deliver! Three commitments on Sunday when we were actually out covering the first prospect camp of this summer on a sensational uh, early June day here in Happy Valley, and there was a lot of smiles among those Nittany Lions staff members, among some of those campers as well. A few commits were in town. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon will join me in just a little while here on the podcast to break down some of what we saw on the camp field. Additionally, they were out at the Coaches versus Cancer golf event that Penn State basketball put on on Friday. It gave them an opportunity to learn a lot more about where the Nittany Lions are trending now, working their way a couple months into the Mike Rhodes era with a lot of new players in the fold. But we have to begin this episode of the Lions 24 podcast, Lions 24 7 podcast, by bringing in our good friend Tyler Calvaruso uh, to break down the latest in the Lions recruiting. And boy, you did not have a weekend off, my friend. The first weekend of June, you were you know, projecting as this one being a big one, and it landed that way. Three commitments on Sunday. This class is up to 17 total pledges for the 2024 cycle. It is a group that now ranks sixth in the country. We're going to work our way through those commitments. We're going to talk about a bunch of the official visitors to know, but take a bow, sir, because you did a fantastic job with coverage. I know Brian Doan lends a big hand. I know that we did some work, but you, sir, did a lot of heavy lifting over the last 72 hours and then leading up to this. I know we got another official visit weekend coming up, but want to make sure give you a quick round of applause. I know a lot of our listeners appreciate the hustle you put in, but I still think some of them Maybe there's some doubt among them. I don't know. Maybe it's a lack of familiarity, but you're on this for a year now. So uh, I think the respect has been earned. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. And, you know, going into the weekend, we hinted that it was going to be a productive weekend for Penn State. And it wound up being that. So, you know, I'm I'm glad the intel that we've been getting was accurate. You know, I think uh, we pride ourselves here on getting our subscribers the most trustworthy information we could pass along. And we hit it out the park this weekend. It's great for Penn State. You know, it's just it's great to be part of covering such a fun official visit slate. Well, let's start with the first commitment that, that jumped on board Sunday afternoon. And one of those official visitors, it was a loaded uh, visitors list last Friday and Saturday into Sunday. But Derek Plaz out of uh, Andrew Jackson High School in Jacksonville, Florida, yet another Sunshine State uh, prospect hops on board with this 2024 class. Talking about a six foot five, 270 pound range offensive lineman. Three-star rating, uh, I think he probably lands in, in the lower tier of this class when you look at the ratings right now in 24-7 sports and work your way from 1 through 17. What do you make of the timing of this pickup, and, and what do you tell some of the fans out there who see the rating 
and, and see the the lack of available space right now in this 2024 offensive line class, and they kind of try to marry those two and feel comfortable with it. Well, what I would tell fans is exactly what area coaches who have gone up against Plaz have told me, and I think that's the most valuable input that we could really provide at this point. They feel that he's a lot better of a player than his current ranking indicates, and they anticipate a bump for him. And, you know, based on some of the conversations that I've had and some of the feedback I've received, you know, I would agree with that. There are a lot of coaches who are telling me that there's versatility to Plaz's game. You know, he has a tackle frame. He put, he does a lot of good things at guard. So this is a versatile piece for the Penn State offensive line room, and that was the general feeling surrounding this recruitment that he could bring in multiple different things to the line for Penn State. And that's why when they got him on campus, they decided they wanted to push and get this one done. You know, I, I was hearing as far as the Miami coaching staff was kind of disappointed that they weren't going to be able to get him on campus later this month for an official visit. So I think that speaks to the quality of player and prospect that Plaza is. You know, another Power 5 coaching staff is visibly, well, not visibly, but the word is that they're disappointed that they're not able to get a guy on campus. And I think that speaks to the evaluation that Penn State laid forth with him. You know, they got – it's like the latest example. It's a common theme kind of popping up here recently. You know, he was a late offer for Penn State. They didn't offer him until May. Then they locked down the visit in June. And it's indicative of, you know, it's nice to offer guys early sometimes. But at the same time, if you get that late offer, that doesn't make you any less of a top target. It doesn't make you any less of a top prospect. Where you fall on the board is where you fall on the board. And Plaz wound up being one of those guys who worked his way up the board, got him on campus, everything checked out. Penn State was comfortable with the take. Plus, is ready to pop, and it was pretty much a perfect storm when it was all said and done. And we got to note that the conversations don't begin when the scholarship offer is extended. They precede that sometimes for months, sometimes yes. for a, a year or longer, where you're, you're having conversations, making sure the prospect and his family know that you are on the radar, but you're not quite ready to take that next step. And you know, sometimes it materializes. The timelines are also different when you, when you analyze how a recruiting class comes together. Uh, and and as we analyze as this offensive line group has come together, of course, this 2024 class began with and for a long time consisted of Cooper Cousins, a top 24-7 offensive lineman out of the state of Pennsylvania. It has grown in a hurry. Donovan Harbor helped get that going a couple about six, seven weeks ago at this point, a four-star prospect uh, out of uh, out of Wisconsin. You had Garrett Sexton, a four-star prospect uh, out of uh, out of Wisconsin as well. And then you go down and you get Egan Boyer out of North Carolina. We talked about uh, Brewer and what he may be able to do. We're not quite sure where he lands in the trenches. We'll talk about that a little bit more from the camp circuit. But where are we right now? Did I miss anyone? Phil Troutwine has so many targets out there, and he's already got a lot of commits locked up. This is obviously going to be a very large offensive line class. Oh, man, you laid it out pretty well, I'd say. You know, <laughs> I, I, It's tough. I give you credit because, like you said, there are a lot of names to go through on the offensive line. But that's not going to be the case much moving forward because, I mean, those spots, man, they are shrinking. You know, There's not going to be many more additions on the line at this point. I think the numbers are pretty tight right now. You know, Gregory Lambert, the top 24-7 tackle from Massachusetts, will be on campus for his official visit later this month. He's a top target. Four-star Ethan Callaway from North Carolina. He's another, you know, guy who's high on the Penn State board. He'll be in town for an official visit. Kai Greer from North Carolina still has his official visit lined up. You know, Kevin Haywood, I mean, the staff would still take him. It looks like he's going to wind up at Wisconsin at this point. But, you know, he's still a name who is uncommitted, so he's worth mentioning. I think the ship has sailed with William Satterwhite at this point. But, you know, I, Penn State likes where its offensive line hall is at right now. There, there's no trepidation about the talent level of any of the guys that they've added or the upside of any of the guys that they've added. So, Plaz, you know, he's just the latest addition of that, and I think you're going to see 
maybe another addition, you know, depending on what happens at tackle. I think there's definitely room for one more. I, I doubt it's going to be two. I think it's going to be more one. But in Lambert and Callaway, those guys are two pretty intriguing prospects. So if Penn State could close out its offensive line class with one of those two guys, I think Phil Trotwin's got to be pretty pleased about how things have transpired this cycle. Then maybe he get a little bit of a head start in 2025 because, you know, we've already seen him hit a home run in that class. And he's really been on fire on the recruiting trail throughout this cycle. And I just think that the production of Penn State's offensive line this past season, it's just it has helped him so much. He could point to that tangible progress and the development of so many different guys. And he could point to Olu Fashano and where he's at as an NFL draft prospect and say, hey, look, we could get you to that point if you come here and you let us coach you up. So I think he's doing a lot of the right things for Penn State on the trail right now. And obviously it's resulting in some success. And Phil Troutwine is stacking this class upon a 2023 group that had four blue chip players, three of them in the top 24-7, and one of them a five-star, three of them on campus, uh, Chim Diono, en route this summer, and and a lot going on in that offensive line room. We talked so much about the skill positions at Penn State, but what has happened here in the past 18 months or so in terms of perception and development is remarkable. And uh, now Plaz throws his hat in the ring for that group. Uh, let's switch sides to the defensive line here. And as you said, when you broke this, uh, at, when the news broke and, and you put it out on Twitter, Dion Barnes is on the board in the form of Xavier Gilliam. He is on the board. And honestly, with the way things are trending this cycle, I wouldn't be uh, surprised if he gets on the board again soon. But that's a different story for a different day. When it comes to Gilliam, it's really, you know, they were comfortable with where he's at right now. You know, we were kind of interested heading to this visit to see where he would be on the board coming out of it. And I think we got our answer in a pretty resounding way. You know, everything checked out with him size-wise. He's around 260 right now. Staff's anticipating he'll be an interior guy at the next level. They're thinking he'd add another 20, 25 pounds, be an interior guy that they need. You know, they've tossed around the idea of taking as many as, many as four interior guys this cycle, uh, three to four is the number that I've heard. So Gilliam's a pretty good starting point. You know, he's played a lot of defensive end throughout his high school career. And, you know, I think he's going to have to acclimate to playing on the interior at the next level. But if the staff didn't think that he could accomplish that, they wouldn't have been prepared to take him as they were. So I think that he's a culture fit. You know, I've heard a lot of good things about him as an off the field, how he fit around the players and the staff during his official visit. A lot of positives on that front. He seemed to mesh with everyone really well. And Barnes just, it all came together for him. And I think that Penn State is pretty pleased that Gilliam is on the board. And now, you know, they are in a good spot with a lot of higher ranked targets as well. So I think defensive line recruiting is stock up. I mean, it feels like the Ducks are on the pond right now for Deion Barnes, right? Yes. Uh, the, the work has been put in. Now you're, you're crossing this bridge, getting the official visits done. What is the developing feedback on Barnes uh, that you're hearing to this point? This is a, obviously a, gr- a great example of, of someone who's ready to take a step forward with him, but why do they seem all of a sudden so well-situated to build out this defensive line class and go from zero to 60 you know, between now and midsummer? It's interesting because I remember when Barnes first got hired and me and you were discussing him, I said, you know, it might be wise to judge who he truly is as a recruiter in the 2025 class because it does take time to build up these relationships. And granted, Barnes had a little bit of a different circumstance than most new position coaches, you know, him working under John Scott Jr. and being around the program and playing such a big part in shaping the defensive line board and having familiarity with a lot of these kids. I think that has definitely helped him in this situation. But it's a different beast when you go from behind the scenes to being the guy as a defensive line coach, and it's on you to bring these guys in. And just, I feel like all the recruits that Barnes has interacted with throughout this cycle and he, the recruits that he's prioritized 
throughout this cycle, the main feedback is he's just a really relatable guy, and they, they feel like they can trust him with their development, given the fact that he made it to the NFL. And, you know, now that he's back in the coaching ranks, he could pass that knowledge along to them. I think Amaris Williams is the most glowing example of this. I just talked about Barnes having familiarity with so many of these guys from the John Scott Jr. era. I mean, Williams gets his offer in late May. He's locked in for an official visit exactly one week later. And now we, Penn State is his top school. I mean, that wasn't a pre-existing relationship. That was one that Barnes went out and formed on his own. And in such a short period of time, look where Williams is at on the board and look where he has Penn State on his list. So I think really Barnes has accomplished a lot of really good things early in his tenure. And if this is a sign of things to come in terms of, you know, closing out the 2024 cycle with a really impressive def defensive line hall, I think 2025 could be, you know, another really special group. And I think maybe in a year or two, we could take a step back, look at this higher and say, James Franklin hit a home run going internal and hiring Barnes. You can see it uh, just in some of those dynamics, the way there's interactions with the guys who are on this roster, the way there's some interaction with guys who are on the camp circuit. He's only a decade removed from completing his own college career. Yes. That feels more like a big brother vibe than an uncle or a father, you know, that, that kind of a, a, something that you might pick up with an assistant coach. So certainly a different dynamic in play there. And, and, and I know some people said it was a roll of the dice because of the lack of a track record as a position coach uh, beyond the high school level. But, but here we are uh, seeing that recruiting momentum. And obviously the proof is going to be in the pudding when they get after the quarterbacks and have to stop the running backs that the Big Ten is going to throw their way all season long. So that came right around 4 o'clock p.m. when we we're out on the practice field. Everything's humming out there. A little bit later on, 8 p.m., we're getting ready to, to write all our camp recaps. We're doing all that stuff. Dewan Lane pops, and, and this stop me if you heard this before. Penn State adds a long safety to a group that is just incredibly impressive under Anthony Poindexter. We talked about the Kari Nelson. He was on this podcast a couple weeks ago. He's got that insane wingspan. He's six foot three, two hundred plus pounds, and uh, Dewan Lane brings that length. And this is a man who is not afraid to get physical at that spot as well. It was the biggest get of the weekend for Penn State, you know, and he was one of their top overall targets throughout the cycle. He was definitely their top safety target at this point in the cycle. His recruitment overall was one of the quieter ones. You know, he wasn't really a fan of the entire process and the fanfare that comes along with it. I think all he really did was release a top five, and then he scheduled one official visit, and that official visit wound up being to Penn State, and he didn't have to schedule any more after that. That's how comfortable that he felt when he got to campus. And, you know, I see a lot of the Kari Nelson here. I, I, their skill sets are similar. They're not the exact same, granted. I think Nelson's a little bit more of a cover guy. Then Lane, but man, if you watch Lane's tape, boy, can he hit. I mean, that guy is a sound tackler for a recruit at this point in his development. And, you know, we always get the question whenever we get a commitment, can this guy help Penn State beat Ohio State? Can this guy help Penn State beat Michigan? Can this guy help Penn State get to the college football playoff and compete for a national title? I think when it comes to Lane, it's a very easy answer, and the answer is yes. And this is a guy at, at, at Gilman High School at, down in Baltimore, a uh, bunch of offers, 20 plus offers. And, and, and it really, like we, we hear from recruits so much about their recruiting process, but there's the examples like this where a guy is a four star caliber prospect, a very wanted man beyond his own home region. And yet it's neat and tidy. You're not going to read a lot of quotes. You're not going to see a lot of updates on the social media. You're not going to see a bunch of pictures of him in jerseys. Some people just approach it a little bit different, and Dewan Lane finds the finish line on his own uh, here with the Nittany Lions. So three commitments come on board, 
on Sunday. That's 17 total now, Tyler Calvaruso. It's the number six class in the country for the 2024 cycle. And there's a lot else to get into from the weekend because there were a lot of official visitors from coast to coast, really. Uh, and let's go with one of those long distance visitors. We talked about the junior college uh, cornerback on our last episode, uh, Sione Leolea. I, I don't think I said it right this time. I, I had it right last time. But he, he comes out here, gets on a plane, comes out to central Pennsylvania. What did he see? This is a junior college prospect from California. See, now it's me to be the one to correct you on the name. It's Lolea. Yeah, I apologize. There you go. Yeah, no, the tables have turned today, man. That's a win for me. <laughs> I'm going to take that with me. It's going to make my day. Take it with you. But, <laughs> but with Lolea, that visit went about as well as I thought it was going to go. He loves Terry Smith. You know, that relationship is a really sound one. He's been really appreciative of the fact that Terry Smith made it out to California to deliver that offer in person. That was something that has really stuck with him throughout his recruitment. And, you know, getting to campus and meeting with Terry Smith and the rest of the staff – Went very well, and I think Penn State's in a pretty good spot here. But one thing is with Lolea, you know, distance is what we're hearing. Distance is going to be a factor. You know, there, there's a pretty big difference between getting on a plane and going to Penn State for an official visit versus getting on a plane, going to Penn State, and staying there for the long term and playing there and calling that your home. You know, he's got some very intriguing West Coast options. I think USC being involved is a pretty big deal. I think if USC really pushes and gives him the green light, I, it's going to be tough for him to say no to that. And beyond USC, Utah gave him a really good official visit, and that's a little bit closer to home. I think that is something that does matter to him. I, I think that's definitely a factor in this recruitment. So Penn State, they're definitely in the race, right? You know, they're not out of it by any stretch. They're right in the thick of things. But I think when he sits down to make a decision and he kind of starts to weigh out the pros and cons of being far away from home, you know, it, it might be tough for those USC's and the Utah's to overcome. It's strange to say he could find a Big Ten football home without leaving the West right. Coast now because of what's happening with this conference. Um, a, a big name that, that you know, coming out of the weekend had a, a lot of noise around it was Jalen Harvey because some of the comments he made to Brian Doan. He has a commitment uh, date now set. And whenever you see a guy come out of an official visit weekend and say, I'm ready to announce my commitment and set a date, well, it's a bit of a signal potentially that things went really well. What are we hearing about Jalen Harvey, the four-star edge rusher out of Maryland, uh, heading out of Happy Valley? Things did go very well with Harvey. You know, Penn State is definitely his top school coming out of the official visit. And he told the staff that he was going to, you know, shut things down on the official visit front and probably not make any more trips. But it's sounding like we're, at least from what we're hearing, that he's going to be at Florida this weekend. And also from what we've been here, I don't think that's really Harvey's call. I think, the, you know, the higher powers in the Harvey family – kind of sat him down and said, hey, look, everything went really well at Penn State. That's great and all, but we want you to be a little bit more thorough before you come to this decision. He still is on track. That part of the plan has not changed in the slightest. June 23rd is going to be his commitment date as things stand right now. And I think just there were some people in Harvey's family that want him to get out and see a couple more places before coming to his decision. And, I mean, that's all well and good, man. I've said it plenty of times on this podcast. I'll always – be supportive of prospects being thorough. I think it's the best way to go about a recruitment, not rushing into a decision. And I think the Harvey family seems to agree with that sentiment. So we'll see if he does indeed make it to Florida. We're hearing right now that he's going to. So it looks like that's going to happen. But from a Penn State side, I mean, they accomplished a lot of really good things with him this weekend. And, yeah, I mean, he's been around the staff so much. He's been to campus so many times. It was kind of just, you know, one of those visits that hammered home that Penn State is a place where he, he could really thrive on and off the field. 
another blue chip defender who was on campus. Uh, in fact, the top 100 overall prospect linebacker, Chris Cole. Now Georgia has made a lot of uh, strong moves here with Cole. He's coming in with the national champions on his mind. What were the Nittany Lions able to do here from what you've been able to gather? I know Brian Doan had coverage uh, of a story based on a conversation with Cole at Lions 24-7. They gave him a pretty good first official visit. I, I think uh, I think it was reiterated to him how much of a priority that he is for defensive coordinator Manny Diaz and the staff. I, I think that that is something that he's known from day one, but getting on campus and being around it and really being around the staff and just everyone associated with the program, he felt like he was a priority probably more than ever. So that was a good thing for Penn State. I still think that Georgia is his leader right now, and then there's Miami running behind Georgia. I, you know, Miami has the connection. His uncle played at Miami during the 90s, and you know that era of Miami football kind of speaks for itself. And then with Georgia, I mean, he made it there for an unofficial visit right before he visited Penn State. Going to be back at Georgia. That's his next official visit that he has lined up. He's going to be there June 16th. And also another factor for Georgia is five-star linebacker Sammy Brown just went off the board to Clemson, and he was high on Georgia's linebacker board. So that's something that's going to move Cole up the board. And given the fact that he was already high on the board for Georgia, I think that speaks to the level of prioritization that Kirby Smart and the staff down there are going to be giving him when he makes it back to Athens for his official. So good visit for Cole. I just, you know, I really think that Georgia is going to be tough to beat in this one. You already referenced another top 100 defender here in Amaris Williams, uh, putting Penn State on top. Brian Doan has a story at lines247.com here on a Tuesday afternoon. You can check it out yourself. Really big development, though, because this has not been a long-term target for the Nittany Lions. They've made a strong impression with this visit. Uh, clearly hit it out of the park for him to, to say, this is my leader, uh, and, and he's going to be heading back down to Clinton, North Carolina now, evaluate things. But Brian Doan has the full story. The other lineman here who is far more familiar, and our fans, our listeners are far more familiar with him, uh, is is uh, Liam Andrews, and this is a guy who uh, defensive line, offensive line. That's been a big question about him. Where are we at with that part of it, and where are we at with his recruitment after he spent forty eight more hours in Happy Valley? You know, we weren't expecting him to make a decision this weekend. So, and obviously, he's still uncommitted. So that wound up tracking. But Penn State did a lot of you know. I think that based on the feedback that I've received, this is probably the most positive Penn State has been about its chances of landing Andrews in a while. I think they feel like they accomplished a lot with him during the official visit. I, I just, you know, he's really, he's at a point in his recruitment where, you know, he's not, nothing is necessarily imminent, but I, I'm not sure it's going to carry on for too much longer beyond official visit season. He's going to be at Wisconsin this weekend. He's going to be at Florida on June 16th. Florida's the one I'm watching more so than Wisconsin, kind of based on the intel that we've been receiving. I think the Gators have some serious traction there. So I think this could easily come down to Penn State and Florida when Andrews sits down and make a decision. But right now, you know, I would go out on a limb and say Penn State probably has a slight edge over the rest of the field for Andrews. I'm not really close to a crystal ball pick or anything like that yet. I want to see what happens at Wisconsin. I want to see what happens at Florida. But I think the Penn State staff, you know, now that they're prioritizing him on the defensive line, He's really appreciative of that. The relationships are already so good before that. So I think he's really liking what the Nittany Lions have to offer at this point. And he's right on the edge of top 100 status at number 102 overall out of the Dexter School up in Massachusetts. And I wanted to finish off our, our conversation here. Just a reminder to our listeners, comprehensive look at everything that went on, all the official visitors, what we're hearing uh, over at lines247.com. VIP subscribers right now, jump on board, by the way, 60% off this week. A good time to do it at the start of a very busy, busy month on the recruiting trail and a bunch ahead this summer. Uh, but two wide receivers I wanted to address before we wrapped up this part of the conversation. Chance Robinson, Jalen Hornsby, 
can you break each of those down separately and, and then kind of take us to our next topic? Because there was another wide receiver on campus Sunday, and I'll get to that after you tell us the latest on Robinson and Hornsby. Yeah, Robinson really just, you know, being the Miami commit, he made it to campus this weekend. And I think that Penn State probably has about as good of a chance to flip him as it did entering the weekend. Maybe a little bit better now coming out of that visit. You know, Florida seems like it has some juice with Robinson. He's going to be there for an official visit later this month. You know, I might go out as far as to say that if Robinson stays committed to Miami, it's probably a good thing for Penn State's chances. You know, if he moves over to Florida, I think that kind of squashes things for Penn State. I think as long as Robinson is committed to Miami, Penn State's going to have a pretty good chance to make a move. That's kind of the gist that we've been receiving coming out of this official visit. And then with Hornsby, you know, Hornsby's in an interesting spot on the wide receiver board. He's kind of uh, he's kind of in that similar tier to the wide receiver that you're going to get to here in a few minutes. He's uh, It was a good official visit, definitely. And I think that Penn State made a very strong impression on him. And they're high on his list coming out of this visit. It's West Virginia and Texas A&M for him moving forward. West Virginia is going to get an official visit this weekend. Texas A&M after that. Then he's going to sit down and come to a decision. Thought Rutgers was going to get a visit. Not really sure if that's going to come true at this point. But Penn State in a really good spot for Hornsby coming out of it. Really, right now, it's more about sifting through where he sits on the board and how other chips fall. Yeah, we teased the other 2024 wide receiver who we sold in Sunday camp action, and that is Peter Gonzalez at a Central Catholic in Pittsburgh. They've got one player on the board. This is 2024 class from Central Catholic and linebacker Anthony Specka, who also camped. We'll get to some of our camp takeaways with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen in just a few minutes. But on the recruiting front with Gonzalez, Penn State wasn't shy about its feelings with Gonzalez. It was apparent when we were monitoring things. During camp, before camp, and after camp, he showed up and, and right at registration, James Franklin embraced him, made it very clear to Peter Gonzalez that he is a wanted man. Uh, we spoke with Peter afterward uh, when, when he was heading home back west and told us, look, uh, James Franklin said the best in PA, stay in PA, and they think I'm one of those guys. So when you show up to campus and that's your initial interaction with anyone, that's a big deal. And the rest of the day went really well for him. It said it gave him a lot of confidence hearing that hearing that from James Franklin early on. Went out, tested very well, uh, as we documented at Lions 24-7. Showed that speed. He's now about, uh, was it 15, 16 months removed from a torn ACL that he suffered February 2021, or 2022, I should say. Somehow he made it back. He played a junior season. Seven months later, he was back on the field in September. He caught eight touchdowns, 700-plus receiving yards. But he feels like he's a different athletic specimen right now. I think that's going to show up. He's, he's targeting 1,200 yards, double-digit touchdowns. But he went 4-5-4 in the 40-yard dash. We saw him go 4-1-5 in a shuttle. There was a slight slip on that shuttle. He impressed on the, on the triple broad jump, I thought, went 33-plus feet. Uh, sh showed that kind of spring out in the field, showed that su some suddenness, and, and showed some straight-line speed that I think we were wondering if we'd get from Peter Gonzalez. And I, a big part of this is he got to hammer it home to people. He lost a chunk of his recruitment process to a torn ACL, and you can't just scoff at that or, or kind of sneeze it away. And so this is an updated outlook for Peter Gonzalez here in June 2023. And that outlook – clearly points toward Penn State opening the door and saying, come on in, young man. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned it, man. That ACL injury really cost him the opportunity to get out on the camp circuit and really show a lot of programs who he is as a receiver and what he could bring to the table. But 
being a local kid from Pittsburgh, I mean, Penn State's well aware of it. And getting him back on campus this past weekend at camp, I mean, really just kind of hammered home that, you know, he's where he needs to be athletically at this point coming off the ACL. He tested very well, and the staff is very impressed with him coming out of that camp performance. They were already impressed, but getting him in town, getting him to work with Marcus Hagan, seeing how those two gelled. I, Gonzalez is a guy who's been moving up the board for a while, and that remains the case. I, I just think that, you know, Virginia Tech has done a really good job with Gonzalez, but when he makes it back for his June 16th official visit, and assuming he does maintain, you know, a green light, it's just tough to see him saying no to Penn State at this point in his recruitment. You just get the vibe that he really wants to be part of what the Nittany Lions are building, and, you know, assuming that he is indeed given the opportunity, and that's what it's sounding like, all signs are pointing towards that coming out of this camp performance. I've just got a tough time envisioning him not winding up in this Penn State class at some point during the summer. And Miami is the other school that rounds out that top three, but certainly the sense is here that it's Penn State, it's Virginia Tech, very high on, on what the staff has sold them, how they have embraced the Gonzalez family down there with Brent Pry and Tyler Bowen, familiar names for Nittany Lions fans, but there is a real connection in place between him and Higgins now, and we'll get into some of that and how that was established further on Sunday when Mark and Daniel come on board because they spent a lot of extra time together. Uh, but this, this, you know, and Peter Gonzalez, his dad went to Pitt. Um, you know, he, 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 by the way, I'm, I'm told mom is the true athlete in the family, former volleyball player. But there, there, there is a kind of a sense, I think, that he's been one of those in-state prospects. And even when the offer came fairly early in the process, where I think fans kind of looked at it and said, yeah, it's an in-state offer, but is it one that really materializes? And to me, uh, I think it's important that you look at it through the lens. I know we want to see new film on, the, on, on this guy, especially you know coming out well after his injury, and we're going to get that this fall. But based on what we saw in a limited sample size on the field, you know, and, and I know he's been working the camp circuit pretty hard. So, you know, he wasn't coming in super fresh. Based on what we saw, he's a guy whose athleticism checks out. He's six, two and a half. He's right around 200 pounds right now. And he was you know, very much not just a, a guy who was getting the attention from the coaching staff, but from Ethan Grunkemeyer, the, the quarterback who we talked to on this last episode of the podcast. The, the commitment was on campus, throwing the ball to him. He made it very clear to Peter before they parted ways that it'd be nice to keep throwing the ball uh, to him and Penn State practice facilities in the future. So what's your sense right now? He says he's going to Penn State. We know he's going to be at Penn State here in a couple weekends, Father's Day weekend. He says the plan then is Virginia Tech. And then based on our conversation Sunday, he wants to close up shop as soon as possible after that visit down to Blacksburg. So where are you at right now? You just had your crystal ball watch list. Is this one of the guys who would be near the top or at the top of that list if you were going to take the plunge on a prediction? Yeah, definitely. I think it's really just a matter of, you know, you got to keep in mind the other chips on the wide receiver board, the Nick Marshes, you know, the Josiah Browns, Jare Hawkins, how things are going to play out with those guys. And at what point do, you know, spots fill up and certain guys start to get squeezed? I don't think Gonzalez is going to be one of those guys who gets squeezed when it's all said and done. I just think with the way things are trending right now, of all the guys on that crystal ball watch list article, aside from Malachi Williams, who wound up being the pick, and Babu Torre, who's going to be on campus for an official visit this weekend, I would say Gonzalez is one of the more likely crystal ball picks coming down the pipeline. I'm kind of in wait and see mode right now with him, just based on what I just mentioned with other wide receivers. But I think it really would not surprise me if he gets to Penn state on June 16th and wraps things up that weekend. I wouldn't even be surprised if he doesn't make it to Virginia tech. I know that's the plan, but we've seen that be the plan with so many different guys who say, Oh, I'm going to make all these visits. I'm, I, I am going to get there, but then they get to Penn state and they're like, 
look, there's really not much of a point in continuing this. And I think that Gonzalez's affinity for the program is kind of at that point. Yeah, I know James Franklin will always love Brent Pry like a brother, but I don't think he would mind if uh, he, he caused Gonzalez to cancel his travel plans Definitely that upcoming not. weekend. Uh, I wanted to finish up with a 2026 offer that went out. It was one of the, the more notable developments coming out of camp in, in terms of tangible evidence that Penn State really liked the player. And that's uh, out in the 2026 class, St. Joe's Prep in Philly. Yeah, Alexander Haskell, defensive end. He's already six foot three. He's over 230 pounds. And I mean, he gets to this camp and he cranks out over 30 reps of 225 pounds on the bench press, which is just ridiculous for a recruit his age. I mean, he, even honestly, at any age as a recruit, that's pretty preposterous of a number. And I think that really caught a lot of eyes right off the bat. And then he gets on the field to do drill work with Deion Barnes. And he shows he's not just one of those guys who's just built like an ox and has brute strength. He's got some athleticism to his game. He can glide. He yeah, can man, glide he's got some bend yeah. coming off the edge, man. He's uh, Your workout video that you put together, him. I mean, it shows who he is as a player early in his career. He's, you know, there's still a ways to go with him because he's new to the defensive line. I caught up with him after he picked up the offer, and he told me he's only been playing D-line for a year. So this is still new to him. And for him to be at that point in his development already, I mean, physically he's already there. There's, there's no doubt about that. And now he's going to, you know, get back in the lab and really fine-tune his skill set as defensive lineman. I think you're talking about a recruit who, you know, when it come, once 2026 becomes the primary class that we're covering, I know it's crazy to even say. But it won't be that, that long. It, it won't be that yeah, long. it'll creep up on us. But once that time gets here, I think we're talking about this Pascal man. He could be a really, really top prospect in the state. I think he's got that in him, especially given how new he is to the defensive line, how raw he still is, the untapped potential that's there, given where he's already at physically. I really like this kid. I want to be keeping an eye on him, really, regardless of what happens from a Penn State side of things. I, he's a really intriguing recruit. He's got the Penn State offer that we just mentioned. He's got West Virginia as well early on. Those two, they're definitely not going to be the last. He's going to have some more coming probably sooner rather than later, if I had to guess. He's going to be camping at Maryland. For this couple coming weekend, I mean, if the Terps don't offer, I would be surprised. Yeah, we'll check back in about six months from now after his sophomore year. There's nowhere to hide, and the highlights are on the field when you're at yep. a school like St. Joe's Prep in Philadelphia. So if you are very good, people will find you in a hurry, and the Power 5 offers will pile up in Penn State. Did not hesitate. We'll see how that decision looks a couple years down the line. Tyler Calvaruso, there is – Three hours more we could have spent with you here on the podcast, but people have to go over and check out your content. Uh, VIP subscribers, you already know how good Tyler's been covering this stuff uh, for the past year. We're into June. If you want to take another peek at it right now, those who have not been subscribed, 60% off for an annual VIP membership. You will not regret it. It's going on through this week. Great time to jump on board. Tyler, thank you for the coverage. We'll check in with you very soon. Less than five bucks a month, people. Join in on the pod <laughs> while you still can. It's the best time to be alive 24-7, I'm telling you. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. 
It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Let's bring on Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan from Lions247.com as well. Gentlemen, how are you? I'm doing well. It's it's a tough act to follow right there with all that information Tyler had for you guys. He brought it and he stole Mark's uh, spiel. We'll let you do it again. We'll Come let on, you give the Tyler, pitch a little bit doing, later. Man? I, I know. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you give your own promo uh, spiel a little bit later. But, fellas, uh, I, as I referenced quite a bit here when we had Tyler on and we spent half hour talking about how busy the recruitment weekend is. We really didn't get into a lot of the camp action, and we're going to do that right now. We got to share the field again on Sunday. It's always a fun experience. We'll be doing it again this upcoming Sunday. There's a seven-on-seven tournament coming up around the corner as well. So just getting started at Lions 24-7 with the camp coverage. But we begin, I think, with the commits. There were three of them on campus, starting with the quarterback, Ethan Grunkemeyer. And, Daniel, this was the second time in three Sundays that Grunkemeyer's back here in State College this time, however, he's working under the very close supervision of Mike Yurcich and James Franklin. And for those who heard him on our last episode of the podcast, Grunkemeyer joined us last Thursday. He was very much looking forward to this opportunity. Definitely. You know, you saw Mike Yurcich have kind of a, a close eye uh, on Ethan Grunkemeyer as he was going through drills. You know, James Franklin stopped by, you know, here and there to keep an eye on him. Offensive analyst Danny O'Brien uh, who Grunkemeyer had really good things to say uh, at Elite 11 a couple weeks ago. You know, it was also, you know, kind of hovering at, at different times. Drew Aller was out there, you know, you know, looking at him, watching him standing behind the quarterback. So, you know, I think that this is a this is a quarterback that Penn State is, is really excited about. Uh, they want to see how he comes along. And yeah, I think that when you looked at this group of quarterbacks that he was with, I mean, I would say that he was probably the standout. Um, of the group from from what I watched on on Sunday afternoon. Um, there's some newer names uh, in the class of 2024, a couple guys in 2025 and even a 2026 to keep an eye on. Um, but you just watch the way that Grunkemeyer moved, um, you know, the release. He just makes it so effortless, you know, getting the ball out to the sideline. Um, I think that that was something that I really you know, wanted to keep an eye on is, you know, how much labor does it take when a, when someone is trying to throw it to someone right on the sideline and Gronkemeyer made it look easy. So, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how he performs in Elite 11. You know, it's a, a week away. It's going to be a pretty big showcase for him and, you know, really putting him on the national radar. Um, but I think what he showed at, at Penn State was kind of what we saw at Elite 11 and definitely sort of is establishing himself as the quarterback in this class. And he looks like someone that Penn State can really work with. It's always a good sign when your quarterback commit is the most impressive quarterback at your camp. And, and that always, hasn't always been the case at Penn State prospect camp summer after summer after summer. And that can lead to a little bit of concern long term about what you might have at that position. Hard to judge everything off one afternoon, but it's good when the guy comes out and deals. At linebacker, we, we got Anthony Specka on campus, and he was one of the earlier commitments in this class. It has grown so much since he committed back in the winter. But, Mark, you put together uh, some highlights over at Lions247.com on Specka's performance. What stood out to you as you watched him live and then as you pieced together the video highlights? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, number one, just in terms of interactions, it was pretty cool to see him have the opportunity to work with uh, Manny Diaz and Stacey Collins and Dan Connor. Uh, obviously a pretty good linebacker uh, <laughs> nucleus, but even more impressive to me uh, was the time that Tony Rojas spent with him. 
I mean, that was, you know, when you and for people who, who don't follow it as closely, Tony Rojas, mid-year enrollee, a uh, guy who's put on 800 pounds somehow <laughs> during, during the spring. No, in all seriousness, he went from like 205 to 225 or whatever it was and was one of the real buzz guys uh, in spring practice because they were a little bit light at linebacker due to injuries, and he had a chance to get a lot of reps. But to see him out there uh, as a as a student uh, counselor, I, what would you call them at these camp things, whatever, some of those players are allowed to work at the camps. And – to see him giving feedback and working with a guy he's going to be competing with next year, I've always just enjoyed seeing that. And I think it speaks highly of, of Rojas. And I think it speaks highly of Speca. And KVN Keys was also there, but he didn't seem to be quite as vocal. I think we're going to find that not many people are quite as vocal as Tony Rojas. He seems to be a vocal guy, and I mean that in a positive way. But in terms of Speca as a player – I would encourage everybody to go look at uh, Brian Doan's evaluation of him because I just went through it and it is, at, you know, from what I was able to see, you know, Doan looks at hundreds of hours of tapes and I'm sure has seen him in person and, and all these things. But you are looking at a guy who looks physically like he's ready to play linebacker at the college level right now. You know, he, he's, he's not overly, uh, you know, kind of jacked up. But he's got just good size throughout his body, down through his legs. He flowed to the ball uh, effortlessly. We're seeing these guys, if you check out the clips, we're seeing them without pads, um, you know, in, in generally non-contact situation. Though it was funny in the one drill, and we've seen this drill a hundred times at Penn State practice, a thousand times at Penn State practice, where one player stands in front of a, uh, a pad that's laid down, and it's a form tackling drill. And we're so used to seeing the Penn State players go through it, and it's kind of like a a, a, a a slow motion focus on uh, focus on your form, and then take the player down onto the pad. And they do this at every single practice that we're at on Wednesday, and all the defensive players do it. So you get so used to seeing it. Well, the poor kid that Specka was up against didn't just stand there. He saw Specka coming and he immediately jumped back and Specka got into him and boom, he was down. And it wasn't anything dirty, but it was just two young guys. And Stacey Collins has to tell the, the other kid, hey, listen, no, you got to stand there and just be prepared for it. And he, he slapped Specka on the back knowing he was a little bit aggressive, but it was just kind of funny to see. I don't know if you guys saw that in the video, but I put that in there. It was one of the first things I put in just because I thought – if you know the context to it, if you know the backstory, and I knew I'd have a chance to say it, uh, that you would see it. But he looked pretty, he looked good in coverage. Uh, I just again, I would encourage everybody to go look at Brian Dunn's thing because it was absolutely spot on. And I'll bet you, if you look at film of this guy as much as Brian did, you will see the same type of things. You know, athletic uh, again, just looks like even even with a beard and everything, he looks like a guy who's older than 17 or whatever the heck he is. So I think Penn State's going to be getting in a linebacker, another one who's ready, if needed, to make an immediate impact. I don't know that he'll be need, they'll need him to do that, but I think if you looked at him physically out there, he just looked different than every other linebacker out there. He looked like a guy that you could put in the Penn State practice right now. 
Specca preparing for his senior season at Central Catholic in Pittsburgh, which is also where you'll find the aforementioned Peter Gonzalez that we just spent a bunch of time covering at wide receiver of both of those players teaming up for their senior seasons. And then the third commit we got to get to kind of a mystery box, uh, a member of this 2024 recruiting class, um, because we're not quite sure how he fits in. We just heard from Tyler Cavaruso discussing target Liam Andrews, who's a fringe top 100 overall prospect. We've been saying, is he a defensive lineman? Is he an offensive lineman? Now it's trending defense. Well, Caleb Brewer has been very much that jumbo athlete conversation as well since he issued his commitment coming out of the blue white game. And I know you were watching him for a while, Daniel Gallon. This guy at six foot four, 275 pounds. I mean, it, I couldn't find much jiggle on that body frame. He's got a lot to build off of, but I can understand why you'd phrase him as a jumbo athlete. Working through those offensive line drills, you don't necessarily see a natural power five offensive lineman in play right now at this point, but you think, oh, if I'm a high school coach, I'm going to put this guy at running back. I'm going to put him at defensive tackle. I'm going to put him at linebacker, at tight end. But what do you do if you're the Penn State staff? And that's what they've got to figure out between now and 2024. I mean, I, I think it's kind of a <clears throat> it's a good decision to make because like you laid out, Caleb Brewer, 6'4", 275, he's every bit of that. You can see the athleticism on him, you know, sometimes with interior or like trench prospects. You don't necessarily see that right away. Um, but he was working with the offensive line uh, under the you know, under the eye of Phil Troutwine uh, on Sunday. Um, and it, it's curious to see. I mean, I'm not exactly sure how it'll play out. There's still a long time before Penn State needs to make a decision. But you, know, you think about last year uh, when guys like Anthony Donka, Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer uh, were up here camping and kind of the, the frames that those guys had and the impression that those guys made on you, you know, when they're working uh, with Phil Troutwine. And this was a little bit different. You know, Brewer was one of the smaller guys in that group that got, uh, there's a group of four 2024 prospects that kind of got carved off and were working with Troutwine. Um, and Brewer wasn't necessarily the most imposing of that group i mean you could tell he was definitely the best athlete of the group um so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out you know whether or not he ends up under phil troutline's watch or Dion bond Dion barnes's watch but you know i think when you look at the build uh the athleticism and you know having that option you know i think it makes sense why penn state you know wanted him you know, and what he can bring he comes from the same program that produced javen williams um so you know he has worked with uh, you know, a high level offensive lineman like that. Uh, there's a track record of producing good linemen there. So it'll be curious to see how it plays out. Um, but my early impression on him, you know, it was my first time seeing him in person is that, you know, he looks like a, you know, a big 10 athlete, you know, who has room to grow uh, and can kind of be molded into what he, what Penn state wants him to be, you know, when he gets here. Yeah, our understanding is that Deion Barnes, the coaching staff, uh, Phil Troutwine being very patient with this. And, and obviously, you're going to get a, a big sample size ahead of you in the form of his senior season. But personally, I, I would love to, to see him come back to camp again this summer and maybe work under Deion Barnes for an afternoon. To, you know, we'll get a look over there. Maybe that comes to fruition. I, I've reached out to Brewer. Hopefully, we'll have a conversation with him because we have spent some significant time wondering how he fits from a positional standpoint. And as the numbers start to get tight with this 2024 recruiting class, those kind of things become a little bit more pressing. Um, moving ahead to, to some of the other takeaways from this camp beyond the commits, there was the extra time with Peter Gonzalez that I wanted to get to because we were all standing there watching. Uh, and, and so was Marcus Hagan's wife and so was Peter Gonzalez's parents and uh, Marcus Hagan's had his two sons out there assisting with him but it was just one coach out there 
and one prospect out there. And it was 20 minutes after this camp ended, and you had Peter Gonzalez, Marcus Higgins working closely. By the way, th they said it was important coming to this trip to get a feel for Marcus Higgins. They certainly got it. <laughs> Mark, we see this every once in a while, uh, and, and you always take note of it. Sometimes it's a guy fighting to get an offer, and James Franklin might have a guy dunk on the goalpost and do all sorts of different things. But this was definitely a, a pupil and a mentor feeling each other out a little bit, trying to see if they were a match. And, and it certainly felt like a fit based on the conversation I had with Gonzalez later that evening. Yeah, I was more impressed by the robo quarterback. I mean, I thought that thing was <laughs> once robo they, quarterback. Once they got it dialed in, it was unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> wasn't it? I mean, that thing was incredible. But it, it had them, a shaky first quarter, but they got robo quarterback. <laughs> Marcus Hagen's dad was yeah. or kid was saying, uh, "Dad, could we just throw him the ball? <laughs> Wouldn't that be easier?" But you could see eventually why they used it because then Hagen's was able to be there working with him on his on the way his hands were and the way his feet were weaving through bags and stuff you know that was really interesting to see and, and yeah i mean you got the sense kind of early in the day that this was a guy that they were really comfortable with and i would i would be willing to bet that everything that they were doing after camp was kind of the the, the cherry on the top and making sure he he was as comfortable with the new position coach and it sure seemed uh, like they were. So they got an eye full of him. Uh, he did not do every single test, I don't think. I may be wrong about that. I know that he did run at least once. Uh, but, he, you know, I think they saw enough of him uh, that they're comfortable. Uh, they, obviously, they saw enough of him that they were comfortable with him. And I think some of the stuff afterward was just more of that relationship building. And, hey, this is the way that we coach receiving uh, we just want to let you know how that kind of th that kind of thing goes. But it was it, it was cool to see. It was cool to see different families there. And I think that's a big part of the recruiting. You know, not just you being comfortable with it, but you have a dad who knows a lot about football, making sure he's comfortable and, 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 and everybody else. So uh, that was fun to see. And it looks like a that sure seems like a match, uh, a, a match made in Happy Valley to me. <laughs> we'll see we'll see on that one the timeline is not very long with Gonzalez um, and, and he will have an opportunity and his parents to come back and, and and you know there's a lot that goes into those official visit weekends and a big part of it is the social dynamic and, and building those relationships further he's just uh, now at this point 11 or 12 days away from being back on campus and doing that again and by the way also involved there for a bit I said it was one coach Calvin Lowry uh, who played here at Penn State went off to the NFL, has gotten that that power uh, that FBS experience as a position coach and is now on the staff uh, assisting with the team. Uh, he was also part of that workout for a bit as well. And the other one I wanted to note was a 2025 prospect here in the state of Pennsylvania. And when it's a tight end offer and when it happens early, we take note because Penn State has signed, I believe, seven four-star tight ends since 2018. And Liam Reynolds or uh, Reynolds, Luke Reynolds stands to make it eight uh, come this winter. Brady O'Hara may be that next one stepping up, to, and he got a long look from Phil Troutwine and Ty Howell as camp came to a close. Definitely. I think that Brady O'Hara is someone who really makes an impression on you uh, visually. Uh, we have him at six foot six, 235 pounds, and, and that's legit. Um, you know, I think that you were kind of, when we were in the camp setting, you, you kind of turn one way to an area where usually nothing's happening. And then you turn and you look and, oh, like Cy you know, putting, uh, Brady O'Hara through the paces later when, uh, Peter Gonzalez was working with Marcus Hagens, Phil Troutwine went over, uh, and was observing O'Hara as they were going through things. Um, I believe O'Hara got paired with Ethan Grunkemeyer 
uh, at least once uh, going through the one-on-one drills. Um, so it's kind of all, all the little things that you look at to kind of put together the interest. But I think that he you know looks the part. Um, you, know, you can see where there's some development that that still needs to happen, you know, kind of continuing to grow into that frame and, and refining things a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think the fact that Penn State is on him early and was giving him that extended look suggests that, you know, there is some interest there and you know, he's another high level prospect that they're going to have their their eye on at tight end. I mean, Tyler just kind of ran through, you know, how successful Penn State has been at recruiting the position at recent years. Um, and I think that O'Hara is someone who, you know, could be up next, uh, depending on, you know, how he continues to develop, you know, what happens elsewhere at the position for Penn State. Um, but I felt like that that was notable because we didn't see too many guys get, you know, get kind of, uh, you know, taken off and, you know, off to the side and things. Um, so I thought it was it was notable to, to notice uh, O'Hara, you know, working with Hal and then even having Troutwine uh, come over as they were, going over some more blocking stuff. O'Hara, by the way, a rising junior at uh, Pittsburgh North Catholic High School, uh, early top 24-7 prospect in that cycle per 24-7 sports evaluation. Any other standouts, takeaways we want to get to? One that I, I wanted to mention, uh, Tyler already got to it, and, and Alexander Haskell, the St. Joe's uh, rising sophomore, who, who really you know put on a, a nice clinic of what he's capable of doing early on in his career from an athletic standpoint, comes away with the offer. Um, either, either of you feel the free to try, chime in before we change the subject. Yeah, from a historical perspective, I just wanted to say it was cool to see Jimmy, Jimmy Kennedy and, and John Gilmore, two former Penn State players, both of their sons, uh, Grayson Gilmore and Devin Kennedy, were there as DNs. Not sure if they'll end up at Penn State, but it's nice to see former players in all their Penn State gear, you know, bringing their uh, their kids to camp and having a chance to interact with the coaching staff. And that was uh, I just enjoyed seeing that. So uh, Jimmy Kennedy, always a, a stand up dude. Uh, out in Arizona now, and I think John Gilmore's down in uh, down in Florida. But both guys went on to play in the NFL. Have always represented Penn State very well. And cool to see their kids coming back around and and maybe having an opportunity. Mm-hmm. On the in the defensive backfield, uh, I think Ethan Long stood out to me. Uh, safety from Brunswick School in Connecticut. Uh, he was one of the one of the guys that you know, every time I looked up at a one on one drill, uh, it seemed like he was in there. Um, he had a rep against Brady O'Hara where he was very, very physical. Um, he had another rep later against another tight end where he just kind of got body positioning and just sort of ran the tight end uh, off the sideline. So there's nowhere for the quarterback to throw the ball. Uh, he had an interception later. He was someone that uh, I felt like was really kind of all over the place and and had some attention. And then uh, Sirius Stinyard, um, a cornerback from Tampa, uh, he was another one where every time I looked up, you know, he was involved in a drill. You know, he ran really, really well. I will, you know, in that you know, four sub four four sub yeah, four four very very well, and that speed played uh, when it came to those drills. So those are two guys defensively, and then I touched on the quarterback group earlier, but just to go through them uh, by name of uh, the two 2024 pr- prospects, Roman Galliano from Alabama, Ty McCutcheon from Hawaii, uh, felt like they were kind of in that similar Grunkemeyer mold um, physically and, and with how they threw the ball. Um, and then in 2025, uh, Charlie Lamort from Don Bosco Prep, uh, I thought that he was really, really impressive just with how he moved uh, his arm um, he got some extra attention from uh, director of high school relations uh, in the during a, a warm up thing with technique things. 
Um, and then finally, uh, Nathan Bernard uh, from Ohio, uh, class of 2026 guy. I know that Penn State has been in on him early. And he's kind of the, he, he's a different type of bot, different body type. You know, he's 6'5", 210, uh, looks every bit of it. And he threw a, a very pretty deep ball uh, during one-on-one. So uh, I think quarterback is always something that is, it's easy to pay attention to uh, at, at these camps. But those were the, that group of guys, you know, along with Gronkemeyer, um, you know, stood out to me and, and had my attention through, uh, you know, individual drills and, and one-on-ones. As I mentioned earlier, we will be back on the camp circuit this upcoming Sunday. Penn State welcoming a bunch of prospects to town once again. And then that following month, uh, following Friday is the uh, seven-on-seven tournament, big man challenge. So we'll, we'll dive into that. That's all coming in just the next week and a half. A ton of coverage at lines247.com. Before I, I turn the corner, Mark, why don't you let the folks really know how they can make sure they're in on this coverage. Hey, listen, uh, I just want to tell people that covering these camps is a blast. And I mentioned it last podcast for the couple years when we couldn't do it because of COVID. It sucked. Uh, but this gives us plenty of stuff to do uh, throughout June. And uh, you know, all of us kind of chipping in and, and, and becoming part of the team recruiting coverage and doing live updates from camp, I just think is, is pretty cool. And along those lines, uh, mm-hmm. if you want the top VIP coverage, the if, of Penn State football, Penn State football recruiting. Come on in. We have a special for 60% off. Uh, it ends up being a great deal. And June is as busy a recruiting month as there is anymore. So this is a great time to to to, 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 to do that. Obviously, Tyler Calvaruso on the pod earlier does a phenomenal job as a site-specific guy. And then we have the best recruiting network out there. And we have, in my view, Brian Doan, who you know helps us as much as anybody and Steve Wilfong that it's just an unbelievable team and to be able to re- rely on all those guys is great and to get the ultimate of all of that coverage uh, it really helps if you're a VIP subscriber we've had great numbers uh, we appreciate all of our current subscribers uh, if you're a current subscriber who's no longer on a promotional plan make sure you get Paramount Plus that's a nice perk that comes along with it and it's going to get even nicer as more and more Penn State uh, athletic events end up on CBS. But, yeah, that's my spiel. Uh, I can talk all day, but check out the promo on our front page and look at the, the premium content. Look at the VIP content and what you're missing, and it's a great opportunity. We'll always have free stuff. We'll all, People can always post for free on the message boards, uh, but the VIP takes it to another level. All right. Thanks, Mark. A few more topics to hit before we finish this podcast and and certainly need to get into this one is Mega Barnwell no longer on the Nittany Lions roster. Uh, one full semester here on campus. He was among those many January early enrollees uh, listed at six foot six, 270 pounds initially here with the Nittany Lions, a prospect that for three years, it seemed we were wondering where was he going to play uh, for this Penn State team when he got to campus. That remained a question even after he got to campus tight end the initial landing spot but certainly you had to wonder given the size and and a lack of speed quite frankly if that was going to be the staying point was he a defensive player was he an offensive lineman a lot of questions there if those things come to fruition at the college football level they will take place on another campus and mark you were able to get us a confirmation on this one very quickly uh, for our breaking story yesterday and 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 quickly penn state was able to confirm it but uh, we hate to see a kid leave. It doesn't happen often. There's yeah. a few different instances and, 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 but there's not a lot of details here. And I think the one thing that you can kind of hang your hat on is it, 
I don't know how he impacted this roster uh, in 2024 and beyond. And and so with him out of the equation, I don't really know that it changes a lot of your long-term outlook in any specific position room. Yeah, we have an opportunity to talk to, talk to James Franklin on Thursday and, and all the coaches. So so maybe we'll get a little bit more detail. But I, I you know, just th- this is just me speculating. It, it sure looked like at some point the rubber was going to meet the road with discussions about this guy having to play uh, offensive line or defensive line because he's just so big. And I think the athleticism would translate to those positions maybe better than they did to tight end. And then you look at their tight end roster, Tyler, and you were just going through it. And it's like, okay, now (laughs) you just bring in Rappelier. Is that right? Rappelier. Yeah, Rappelier. Yeah. So you just bring this kid in. Had a ch- I had a chance to see him down at the at the visit to the uh, Hershey Children's Hospital, and he looks physically like a guy who's ready to play. And again, I'm yep. not saying that means he will play, but you know, all of a sudden we we didn't see much of Barnwell till late in the blue white game. And I just think you put all these things together. Hopefully, wherever he lands, it works out well for him because he seemed like nothing but a nice kid, right? I mean, all the dealings that we had with him seems like a nice kid from nice family. So hopefully, it works out well for him. Yeah, we'll monitor this. Uh, as far as we understand, he posted uh, something on social media from a Penn State classroom this week. So I'm uh, not sure. We don't want to go too far down the road when we don't know the story in the next 48 hours or so before we get back uh, in front of some microphones and have our next podcast. I hope to have some more clarity on Barnwell. But what we do know is he's no longer a member of this roster moving ahead. Uh, so the freshman class, uh, down one guy, it, it helps you a little bit in terms of trying to figure out how to get to those 85 scholarships as, as they're going to need to get there. But you never see it, uh, like to see it end this early uh, for any kind of college student athlete. Um, just looking uh, back in the rearview mirror now, before we look ahead to 2023, Mark, three guys are on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot for 2024. Kajana Carter, DJ, she, sorry, Paul Pozlesny, DJ Dozer. Where do we land uh, in terms of those three? If, if you had to kind of set a pecking order uh, for who might be most worthy of consideration, I know it's a loaded question for you, but I think no, it's you're not. as good of a guy. Okay, well then go for it. It's criminal that Kajana Carter is not in the College Football Hall of Fame right now. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, you see people who are in there and they're all deserving, but this is a guy who averaged 7.2 yards per carry in his career, 7.8 yards per carry, as a junior, his final year when Penn State went undefeated and should have won the national title. I mean, how is this guy? And and listen, I guess there are two ways of looking at it: that he was surrounded by tremendous players, and Kerry Collins and Kyle Brady, you know, other guys who went in the top ten of the NFL draft the same year he did. Uh, and he had there were great running backs on that team as well, and Mike Archie and Mikey Pitts and Brian Milne and, and Whitman. Uh, but I, I think you look at those numbers and had he played four years, I mean, this is a guy who would have rushed for over 4,000 yards in his college career, despite playing with that sort of talent. He also had a great offensive line. Uh, you know, I know that, but I just think by the sheer numbers and that's not a knock on D, DJ Dozier or Puzz, Paul Puzlesny. Those guys were both great players. I think Puzlesny is going to end up end landing in the in the, in the College Football Hall of Fame at some point. Dozier's been on for a while. Uh, I would love to see him get there. Uh, but in terms of those three, and again, all great players. Don't get me wrong, but to me, I, I can't believe Kajana Carter's not already in 
in the College Football Hall of Fame. It just it, it's mind blowing to me. The one thing I would want to say about Paul Puzlesny, you had an era of great Penn State linebackers that it, it, in 1999 you had Brandon Short, Lavar Arrington, and Mac Morrison, and and that kind of ended for a few years. There were some very good players, uh, but not at that elite level at linebacker. You. And Puzlesny was a, a safety out of Aliquippa who they brought in here. I think 2003 was his first year. And you could see, I think he had a pick six as a true freshman. You know, he's an undersized linebacker. And you can see, wow, this guy's going to be something. But he helped reestablish the linebacker U tradition because after him, you had Dan Connor, you had Tim Shaw, and then you had Sean Lee. And it's like, boom, 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 linebacker U is back. And Paul Puzlesny was the guy who who put it on the map. In terms of DJ Dozier, I know I'm going a long time here, but this was a guy who was outstanding in an era where Penn State didn't post great offensive numbers. If you go back and look at what the 86 team did in winning the national title, it was all about a tremendous defense and a ball control offense. And DJ Dozier was a huge part of that. Again, despite playing with some other really good backs, Blair Thomas was behind him. They had great fullbacks and Tim Minoa and Steve Smith, who carried the ball a lot. So those teams, there were some loaded team, there were some loaded backfields back then. But I just don't know that he will have the numbers that people will look and say, "Hey, look, this guy belongs in the Hall of Fame." He also was drafted at the Major League Baseball level and actually played Major League Baseball as well. He's uh, he went on to become a minister. Still a big part of the program. You see him around. So all those guys, great, great people. But to me, if I had to pick one, it's easy. Kajana. I don't think you'll find a better breakdown of this Penn State Hall of Fame ballot class uh, than than what we just heard from Mark Brennan. I will not ask you to throw anything on top of that, Daniel Gowan, although you wrote the story (laughs) about the the ballot announcement. But I will ask you to get into some basketball conversation because while we have, you know, Penn State football's rightfully reclaimed our focus here the last couple of months here on the podcast but along the way Penn State's been piecing together a new look edition of what they're going to put on the floor for this 2023-2024 season you guys were both at the coaches versus cancer golf tournament here in Happy Valley last Friday and I want to start with your notebook Daniel because as we finish this podcast and and kind of uh Give us the bullet point, uh, you know, not necessarily the five minutes uh, of, of what's going on with Penn State basketball, but for those who've been kind of checked out, what do they need to catch up on? Yeah, it was a, it was a really solid uh, sort of catch up with Mike Rhodes. Uh, it's the first time he's spoken in that set, that type of group setting uh, since his introductory news conference at the end of March, and uh, a lot has happened uh, since then. Uh, you know, he was asked, you know, oh, what, what do people ask about? You know, what do they want to know about Penn State basketball? Like, you know, with a, a new coach coming in and he kind of joked that, well, they want to know about the roster um, because, you know, when he came in, they had three scholarship or two scholarship, then three scholarship players coming back. Um, but he hit on a couple a uh, couple key topics. You know, he talks about that trip to the Bahamas um, in August, that that's going to be really, really significant for them um, when it comes to team bonding and really you know, putting kicking things into gear for preparing for the upcoming season. Um, he said that that trip was actually planned by Micah Shrewsbury um, before Shrewsbury left for Notre Dame. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a fortuitous, um, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but it, the timing of that works out really nicely with so many new pieces coming in. Um, he said that they want to fill that last roster spot. Um, you, you're at 12 of the, the maximum 13 scholarship players. Um, you know, Tyler Calvaruso has done a good job of 
um, you know, of who Penn State is still looking at in the portal right now. Um, and then Rhodes just kind of talked generally about the community, um, about how that there's, you know, he's back in Pennsylvania. Um, he got to go to the state capitol uh, with James Franklin a couple weeks ago. He got to see a lot of people who worked with his dad, who was a state senator uh, for a number of years, and that there's a lot of familiar faces, um, you know, and he's really kind of, you know, trying to become part of the community. Um, at Penn State right now. Um, and at the same time, they raised, you know, a significant amount of money for a good cause um, in the process. So yeah, we'll have a little bit more uh, from that conversation over the next you know, couple of days and couple of weeks, because um, we did touch on a number of things. But I think those are some of the things that, that stood out uh, with where Penn State is right now on the basketball front. If you want a full deep dive into that uh, Friday event, check out Daniel's notebook that he put up on Friday afternoon over at lines247.com. And Mark, I want to finish with this while you were out there covering things, you know, roaming around the golf cart. Uh, you put together enough in your notebook to piece uh, a really, a really great story that I enjoyed uh, on Calvin Booth and, and, those who knew him here back when he was a player, uh, looking at where he is now, which is as the general manager of the Denver Nuggets, who are three wins away from capturing an NBA championship and have clearly one of the most impressive rosters that looked like it's built for the long haul under his management. So with all that in mind, uh, made for a great story. I know it was well received by a lot who read it. What stood out to you from those conversations? Yeah, well, as a reporter, we we very rarely talked to Calvin because you know at that time he wasn't the most outgoing guy, uh, and they had these big, dynamic, larger than life personalities. You know, his first year he overlapped with John Amici for one year, and for people who never met John Amici, you know, maybe the most outgoing, one of the most outgoing players. But then it was you know Matt Gaudio and Pete Lasicki and Danny Earl and then Joe Crispin and Jarrett Stevens, and it was just one after another of these kind of larger than life personalities. So we never got to hear that much from. Uh, and you didn't really get to know him uh, much at all. These guys all did know him. And they knew from the beginning that even though he was quiet, once they got to know him a little bit, that he was a super smart individual and that he was going places. And that's not even to mention what he was able to do on the court as one of the all-time shot block leaders in Penn State history as a true freshman, he comes in, weighs 200 pounds at 6'11", and helps Penn State get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, so he had an unbelievable career, but was just quiet. But what I what I took from it, uh, and, and to see where he, where he is now, you cannot be an, an, an NBA general manager without – you have to be not just a good communicator – you have to be an outstanding communicator. You are dealing with, you know, dozens and dozens of people at high levels talking about huge salary numbers and building relationships and all these things. And to see, I bet you a lot of people didn't even realize that a Penn State guy was the GM of what sure looks like the best NBA program out there. But what stood out to me the most was even though these guys spoke with a lot of humor, the love they have for this guy the respect they have for him uh, and, and just the admiration that they have for him. These guys, they were at the Thursday event and they all hustled down to a, a watering hole downtown so they could watch the Denver Nuggets. And why did they want to watch the Denver Nuggets? Now, you, you watch Denver Nuggets and maybe you'll see one shot of Calvin Booth, but they're all big, huge fans of the Denver Nuggets now. So just very great to see that a guy sometimes don't judge a book by its cover. 
you know, when he first came to Penn State, very quiet. And now look at him. So incredible to see. Uh, just a, a great story. And if you're a Penn State fan and, and you're not a Heat fan, you ought to be cheering for the Nuggets now because I am. Even, even though my beloved Sixers are long gone, uh, I am now at this point a Nuggets fan now that the Sixers have been eliminated. Great stuff, Mark. Same to you, Daniel. Uh, we'll catch up real soon. Thanks for hopping on the podcast. Sure thing. Thanks, Tyler. All right, good stuff from the Lions 24-7 crew here on an all-hands-on-deck kind of an episode. Tyler Calvaruso, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen. I am Tyler Donahue. We're stepping aside for now. We're back with another episode later this week, and we're gearing up for yet another weekend that will feature a bunch of official visits, another camp. Why don't we do it again? Who knows? But we'll see if they can get the three commitments. That may be a hard challenge, but plenty to break down from the past weekend at Lions247.com. Plenty to break down about the upcoming weekend and just a, a tremendously busy June ahead at the site right now so check things out we'll talk to you soon right here on the podcast check us out on youtube and wherever you find your podcast give us a five-star rating if you feel like it we'll catch up with you soon right here on the lions 24 7 podcast